vision. Your paradigm is about to shift at the intersection of fact and reason. You're entering Kingston Country. You know, I actually think it's a sign of strength. We have the strongest military in the world now, and uh, I think it's a great sign of strength. It's very easy to attack, uh, but if you ask Lindsay, ask him, how did going into the Middle East, how did that work out? And how did going into Iraq work out? So uh, we have a disagreement on that, and uh, you know, there's plenty of time to do some dastardly things. It's very easy to start. I'm Dan Kingston, and you're listening to the Dan Kingston Podcast. Pompeo calls attacks on Saudi Arabia an act of war, as Trump tightens Iran sanctions. What do you think? Is war with Iran inevitable? Let me know your thoughts on this topic. It it seems if you're listening to Trump and you're reading between the lines, it seems to me we're going to stay out of a wider conflict. I trust his American first foreign policy that's guiding him. And I trust that's part of the reason why Bolton was let go. I trust he is going to stand up to the warmongers, uh, the deep state and the military industrial complex. He's going to stand up to the neocons, the Lindsey Grahams of the world and the Bushes. He's going to stand up to the neoliberals, the Clintons, the Schumers of the world. And I think that while he maintains that we do have the strongest military in the world, why do we need to use it all the damn time halfway across the world, especially when we're an energy powerhouse? Uh, we don't rely on the Middle East oil like we used to. And so we're not beholden to that region anymore. Now, do we have interests in Israel? I guess. Do we have interests in Saudi Arabia? I guess. But they also have American weapons. They can defend themselves. We don't need to be the world's babysitters. We can sit back from a position of strength. That's what the president's saying. He's saying, we are powerful. We don't need to flex our muscles every single instance of uh, uh, some kind of foreign crisis. We don't need to be the first ones to react. Maybe if people stop waiting for us to do their dirty work, they'll do it themselves and they'll do the heavy lifting. In the past, we're so quick to intervene. Of course, nobody else. They're not going to lift a finger, not even to help themselves. Why would they if we're going to come in and do it for them? What do you think? Let me know. Is war with Iran inevitable? Are we going to face airstrikes against Iran? Are we going to face a backlash, uh, Iranian airstrikes against us? Don't forget, they have drones. They have military technology and missiles and radars, and it's not an easy thing. You can't just fly a drone into Saudi Arabia and bomb out their oil fields without some kind of advanced technology. We have radar systems, and we have interception uh, uh, technology that we've sold to Saudi Arabia that supposedly should have been able to defend against this. I mean, this is in the Wall Street Journal. U.S. Saudi military forces failed to detect attack on oil facilities. They failed to detect it. Why? How? Because Iran isn't just a baby. They're not just a little uh, 
Iraq, okay, they've been preparing for this. Now, could we take them down? Of course we could. But we have a $22 trillion debt. Interest on the payment alone on that $22 trillion is the fourth largest budget item behind defense spending. Are we going to wait till that interest on the debt surpasses defense spending before we wake up and realize we can't afford any more stupid wars? Another stupid war equals game over. This is Kingston Country. Tim from North Carolina, what do you think? Is war with Iran inevitable at this point? I don't believe war with Iran is an option. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Iran, you got to look at the history of Iran. Um, the Persians, they've, they've acted out over centuries. Now, I've been told through the history books and official history books and unofficial history books that they're very good negotiators. Mm. Well, you know, Trump may see that as a challenge. Personally, I think the the Iranian regime right now is controlled by deep state money. I don't I don't believe for them because nothing in Iran or on Iranian soil happens without the blessing of the mullahs. It just doesn't happen. Um, even the Iranian president is just a figurehead. Um, Romani, I believe his name is. Uh, you know. I have even less respect for him than I do for Azimajad or whatever his name was from the last go around. Well, the Iranians um, are, they, I mean, they're being aggressive and it looks like they hit Saudi Arabia. But the question is, I mean, wh- why does it matter? Why does it involve us? Why do we care about what happens in Saudi Arabia? They're trying to provoke us. Hmm. Um, look at the Strait of Hormuz. Um, they're, they're targeting the oil. It's always been said that, you know, the United States is addicted to oil. And, and, if, they can, and if they can affect the flow of that coming into, you know, North America, there's all kinds of different effects on the economy. You know, the way I look at this is the deep state knows they're in deep trouble, especially for 2020. Trump's got a really good base going in the next year. So... There's a couple scenarios, and I'd like to run them by you here. Yeah, but well, let me ask you, if I could, just really quick. Do you think Trump's um, firing Bolton was a message to the deep state that he's done done with the deep state, endless war? Is that, is that a message, no more no more I, war with Iran? I think, no, I think, I think Trump used Bolton for what he needed to use him for, and he fired him. Trump doesn't do anything by mistake. Everything Trump does is very, very calculated. That's where people have him wrong, as we say in the South. When you got somebody wrong, that means you guessed wrong about them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're up to something else. Trump is very, very calculated. He fired Bolton. He fired Bolton because he wanted the deep state to believe, or whoever he's against right now, wanted them to believe that he's going to listen to this man. So what does the deep state do? The deep state knows that Bolton is a war hawk. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, they're going to get right into, into Bolton's pocket of what he knows best, and that's war in the Middle East. You know, you got to remember that industrial military complex. Bolton's right in the pocket of that. So they start this conflict in Saudi Arabia. They think Bolton's going to go to Trump. 
whisper in Trump's ear, you need to strike back. You need to show a force. And then, bam, they got their war. Now, the real question is why do they want that war? They, the Iranians know damn well that they can't fight the United States. They would be obliterated. So something has to make them think, hey, we got a fighting chance at this. But there's something else on the table here for us, and it's not just war. Because the Iranians don't win that. They don't win that on a war front. Is it because they're being squeezed financially by the sanctions and all this, and they're having to act out, and this is their only way to act out? Could that be? That's what the news media is telling you. What I really think is happening is, yes, they're feeling a squeeze from the sanctions, but someone's funneling money in there to fund Iran right now. Iran hasn't collapsed. Look at it. These sanctions really... Iran hasn't collapsed. Someone's following that money. And it's coming from those multinational corporations, you know, the globalists. They're, they're bringing that money into Iran, so Iran's doing their bidding. Tim, let me ask you something. Why is it such uh-huh. a bad situation for Iran and Saudi Arabia to be neck and neck? You know, when you had Iran and Iraq neck and neck, it kind of balanced things out. What about just yeah. leaving them alone and letting them figure it out? Do we have to be the the global oil supply defenders, you know, of the world now that we're in, you know, thanks to Trump, we're independent, uh, energy independent, well, right? we don't have to be the world's police anymore. You're right about that. We don't have to be the world's police. But what the the people behind this are playing an old game that Trump's not playing anymore. We're not getting drug into the Middle East like the Bush family. Mm-hmm. And God knows I am no fan of, jo- of George Bush. Yeah. <laughs> Herbert Walker or Jr., <laughs> as I call him. You know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of either Bush. I, I, I lost friends in both those wars. I was not in the military, but I have friends who, had, who were. And God, God bless them. But if we get drug into a war with Iran and Saudi, you have multiple things happening. The oil prices in the United States will go up. Which will put a strain on the economy. The economy will drop down. It will slow the, the Trump economy. Think about what the Democrats have been preaching for the past six months. All recession, recession, recession. They need something to cause that recession. They've got to slow that economy down going into 2020 so they can get that slim margin of vote and hopefully win back the White House. Now, if they win back the White House, the money starts flowing back into Iran the sanctions go away, and that's why it happens. So the deep, state, Kerry, the deep state wants to get us into war, in other words, with Iran to, to help elect a Democrat. You're damn right they do. Why go into Iran? You, you, you do an airstrike, you think they're not going to respond? We have sensitive assets in the Middle East, and I'm saying bring those assets home. Deploy them when we need to. We have so much technology now. We have space planes. We have missiles that can fly in space. We have all this top-secret technology. We do not need to have one million troops stationed all around the world just in case something happens. I think Trump gets it. It's no longer the right versus left paradigm. That's a big fallacy, and that's the politics of yesterday that the news media still trying to hold on to the real politics now 
It's the neocons and the neolibs versus the rest of us. You see, the left, they have it all wrong about Trump's foreign policy. And the right, the neocons, well, they understand it, but they hate it so much. They're so bought off by the military-industrial complex. They're, they're deep state moles. They're, for whatever reason, they hate American first foreign policy, so they align with the left, and they call him unhinged. They call him a maniac. It's, it's a pretend thing. Right? They know what his strategy is, that it's an American first policy, but they would rather not describe that to the left. Because you know what? The left might come away and say, well, Trump, maybe that's a good idea to stop getting involved in these stupid, endless wars. Maybe it is a good idea, American first. Maybe we should take care of American citizens first. This is Kingston Country. U.S. Saudi military forces failed to detect attack on oil facilities. Wall Street Journal headline, their oil is vulnerable. That's what this shows. They cannot protect their oil facilities, and that's going to shock the global market. And of course, we're locked into that global market, even though we're an energy superpower, even though we export energy all over the world, we still are, I guess, beholden to the globalist oil trade, because I guess we develop the light oil, and we import the heavy oil, and we don't have refineries set up for the the type of oil, the light oil that we produce. So we export that, and we import this. And there's no problem with it. They say, oh, yeah, globalism, it's fine, they say. It'll help those developing countries, they say. It'll help us. It'll make your products cheaper, they say. And what did you get? Well, we got dragged down and we became one of those backwards countries that they promised to help. And now when we're an energy powerhouse because of globalism, you'd think we don't need to be uh, dependent on these Middle East politics anymore. Well, surprise, surprise. Globalism means we're still locked into that oil supply. And if the oil supply for some, I guess, European country goes up, then that's going to hurt us in some way. It's a, a bunch of baloney, honestly, because whatever increase in oil prices that are going to get hit Americans or Europeans or whatever, it pales into... It just is nothing compared to the war, the price of the war in human cost uh, to our economy, to our the, the 22 trillion debt that's just going to be trillions and trillions more added on to that. You're saying, oh, just one airstrike, Dan. Come on, you're blowing this out of proportion. One airstrike. One airstrike. All right. How do you think World War I got started? You think they were planning it? You think World War II, uh, we wanted to get into World War II? You know, things happen. Things spiral out of control. And what we, we can't have are these warmongers that are constantly uh, battling the president's American first foreign policy, calling him a maniac. They're supposed to be Republicans. Who is Lindsey Graham anyway? Little short, little short guy. There's always been picking on. You know, he's such an opportunist, a political opportunist, Lindsey Graham. He's always been the one of these warmonger neocons. He was the biggest Iraq supporter throughout the whole thing. He was a, a big Iraq supporter. So don't trust Lindsey Graham. Don't trust the Bush Foundation. 
sponsoring tweets about how we need to stay in Iraq. We need to stay in Afghanistan. How many more decades do we need to stay in, huh? In other news, Greta Thunberg, teenager, a climate activist, she now has a posse, a whole posse. Yeah, and she's testified before Congress with her posse. You know, you can't blame her. She's 16 years old. She has anxiety. Some reports say she may have Asperger's. and She's actually a pretty bright young kid. And these kids in her posse, I, I don't want to make fun of them because they're they're pretty smart. They're doing the right thing, but they're so misguided. You see, there's no hope. If you know you and me and a majority of Americans uh, are brainwashed by this false right-left paradigm that you know, makes us focus on the shadows on the wall, right? So we don't really see what's happening with the military-industrial complex, the deep state, and these endless wars. If we have this pulled over our heads, our eyes, how do we expect the kids to see any better? And it's a, it's a politics of fear. It starts early. You know, the politics of fear. It starts so early. They get them so young now with the climate crisis saying you aren't even going to, to be able to uh, 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 have a future. The world's going to end. So what's the damn point? That's the message they're giving teenagers like Greta Thunberg, if you don't believe me, this is a clip from the testimony. Listen to yourself. You know what's going on. The last thing we would want for the generations to follow, for our children, grandchildren, uh, and other people's children and grandchildren, is to hear in some of your remarks uh, actual fear and anxiety oh uh, being expressed. Come on. Uh, could you, uh, each of you that you can jump right in as you see fit, uh, comment on what that's like, uh, I, I think that Ugh. that message should be heard by be all afraid. of us. Be afraid. Not just urgency, but what are we doing to the next generation? How are their lives impacted uh, by what we're not doing Ugh, uh, and what we're doing? So if you could, uh, I'll let you just uh, choose among yourselves. Each of you will have a chance to answer that question. Respond fearfully now. For, for me, it's... It's really been affecting because similar to Vic, I already have like underlying issues of like anxiety. Oh. And it's just really hard to grow up in a world full of ifs. You know, hmm. I don't think a lot of people in Congress understand the conversations that are happening in everyday American high schools. But we're constantly asked, prepare for your future, study for your future, do this for your future. Um, but our, our world is full of ifs. I'll be talking to my best friend and she'll be like, yeah, you know, I really want to see this natural place sometime if it's going to still be around. <laughs> um I really want to study to be this if that's still going to be a possibility. And it's just like this constant looming uncertainty. And it's this weird form of, of nihilism. It's called the world. It's called the, the real world. It's, it's not uh, easy. And it is full of ifs. And as adults, we should be helping the young people not be so afraid. Instead, it's like, okay, be afraid. Be very afraid. Because you're easier to control when you're afraid. You see, when you're afraid, then the politics of fear has you right where we want you. And we can tell you what to believe. Because if you don't believe it, well, you're going to die. Uh, so the, the truth is that they're, uh, you know, they should be uh, celebrated for participating and helping 
to do what they think is right, making a difference. The problem is that they've been lied to, like the rest of us, into thinking that the planet is going to end and that we have no hope and that we have to give up on capitalism and give up on everything that's gotten us to this place where we are now, where there's actually less war, less starvation, less child death, less of these horrible uh, wars that have plagued us in the past and less genocide. Yeah, we hear about the bad stuff. Yes, the world is a really messed up place. There's so much more work left to be done, but we don't get there by throwing out all the things that have worked for us. We get there by improving on the systems that have helped us get to where we are today. And that's a message we need to help send the young people. Don't be afraid. Be motivated and work within the system because you, the truth is, is that when it comes down to the world we live in, you have to deal with the reality on the ground, don't you? Wouldn't you agree with that? You have to deal with the reality of the world you live in as opposed to the one you wish existed. So let's, let's uh, tackle the environment. Let's do it. But let's do it in a way that works within our capitalist system so that by helping the environment, we also help ourselves. We don't make it worse for ourselves. You know, whatever you're going through right now, you have to trust yourself. You have to do what feels right. And for these climate activists, and if you're listening, whether you agree with this podcast or not, I hope you find an encouraging message to, to do what you think feels right. And while I give my opinion, and I'm a very opinionated person, I'm honestly, I'm here to hear your views and to have an open discussion about how to make this country better. Because America is the greatest country in the world. And we have to keep it that way. Kingston Country. You've been listening to the Dan Kingston Podcast. 